This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This podcast is sponsored by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 5000 is the latest digital autopilot providing increased safety plus decreased pilot workload. It's being certified for Part 23 and Part 25 retrofit aircraft such as high-performance turboprop and turbine jet aircraft. To learn more about the STEC 5000, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. This week on Hangar Talk, sad details from the Roy Halliday crash. Upcoming 5G cell coverage might affect your GPS. Also, those VFR charts are going to expire a little bit quicker from now on. Speaking of charts, we have a new AOPA flight planner. Finally, we discuss how COVID has impacted the airshow industry. Are you ready to do some Hangar Talk, Ian? Yeah, let's do some Hangar Talk, David. From AOPA, your freedom to fly. This is Hangar Talk. Yeah, 1056, turn right, heading 130, contact final 1324. Turn right, guys, With your hosts, Ian Twombly and David Tulitz. This is Hangar Talk. Welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. And I'm David Tulitz. And David, our guest this week, Brianne Kropa. She is a pilot and uh, aspiring air traffic controller. And the reason you talk to her, she's got this really cool project going on. She's an aviation seamstress, Ian, and I didn't even know such a thing existed. But Brianne and a bunch of her friends via Facebook got together and they're sewing face masks for pilots. It's really cool and they're free. Okay, fantastic. So we'll hear about that a little bit later. That's a story for the times, <laughs> certainly. It's exactly. amazing. We never thought we'd talk about something like that. But first, let's talk about the the Roy Halliday crash. Now, you might remember this. This is the icon that crashed in November 2017 and unfortunately killed baseball pitcher, ex-pitcher, I guess, retired pitcher Roy Halliday near Tampa. And uh, the NTSB released the factual report, and it has some, I guess you would say, some troubling things in it. It does, Ian. We talked about this before on Hangar Talk. But the report goes into further detail and cites witnesses who observed Halliday's operations very close to the water, doing some high bank maneuvers with high angles, pitching down real rapidly to a few feet above the water. And, and we just don't know that that's a real smart thing to do. I mean, I, I would recommend it against it on any day. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, he they made a point of saying, and this may be the precursor to what they're going to say the uh, you know the probable cause is. But he posted things on so, social media like, "Oh, the icon flies like a fighter jet close to the water." They they actually have him a couple of days earlier flying under a bridge in the area, which is just a little nutty, you know. But I I think the one thing that people are going to focus on is uh, the toxicology report and, and what they found in his blood, which includes. Uh, and I, some of this came out before, but I don't think it came out in, in sort of the detail here. But it includes a lot of sort of troubling things about about what have may have been in his blood at the time. 
The toxicology report did list several drugs in Halliday's system, including sleep aids, amphetamines, morphine, and antidepressants, which as a private pilot, one of the decision-making tools that you use is the I am safe method. And that would, that would seem to disqualify him from flying in that kind of a situation, Ian. So that's not something I would do. I'm real careful even, you know, taking a leave or something like that, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. And what's really interesting to me about this, and I think, you know, maybe we'll potentially find out more later is, you know, they, the report is saying that he went through two substance abuse programs, I think related to some painkiller addictions based on probably some injuries he received playing baseball, I would imagine. And, and yet was able to get a medical pretty soon after. So I think they're going to have to look at that because, you know, I'm sure you know people who maybe they had something in their childhood or, um, you know, who knows what it would have been. And it takes years to get through that process. And and he had, I think, a first-class medical at the time, less than, I think it was two years uh, after getting out of substance abuse. So I, I think they're going to have to look at that. Absolutely. And uh, one other thing that Richard McSpadden, the director of the APA Safety Institute, explained was that the accident really reinforces the, the risks of low altitude flying in. And that's something that the ASI doesn't really condone. You know, you gotta be super careful about low altitude flying. Uh, generally, if you're landing and taking off, okay, or low approach, that kind of thing. But not, you know, not uh, jock, jockeying around just for the fun of it. You gotta be really careful about that, unless you're in an air show box, which is covered and, you know, and, and notumed and, you know, in the, in the practice fields, things like that. So those are, Obviously, no problem with that, but just out in the middle of a waterway where there are people doing recreational boating doesn't look too good for other pilots. Yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, like you said, there are time and place for these sorts of things. There's training for it, that sort of thing. But th- this did not appear to be that time. So it'd be interesting to see what comes as a result of this. So, you know, Icon had previously put out some guidance about low flying because they were being chastised, maybe rightly so, about some of their marketing and training and the fact that they didn't address this. You know, they, they say, well, it's a jet ski of the sky and that sort of thing. And, of course, we know how a lot of people operate jet skis. So I think, you know, now the company has taken a slightly different turn in that area, and that's probably a good thing. But, yeah, it, it will be interesting, I think, to see what comes out of the uh, the probable cause here in the final report. Well, speak, speaking of reports, there's some reports that uh, a company that's been on the uh, forefront of some technology is going to be messing with our GPS signals, and a lot of people are unhappy about that. Yeah. So, man, if you have been around a couple of years, you remember the name Light Squared. This was something that AOPA went to bat really hard on a couple of years ago. Light Squared was a company that was going to put in so, you know, kind of a, a broad internet spectrum across the country. And that's a great idea, except they wanted to do it on a frequency spectrum that was really way too close to the GPS spectrum and would have caused some interference. AOPA worked really hard to defeat that, along with some others. And they have come back. They're back and they're strong, Ian. So on uh, April 20th, the FCC voted to approve the proposal by the, the networks. And they basically revised this plan to install this 5G network on the L-band frequencies that are really close to those that are used by GPS and could create potential interference with navigation. And Ian, you know, we've talked about this on the show before on Hangar Talk, and we've actually talked to Rune Duke before, but there are some GPS outages that pilots are very wary of. And Dan Emowitz, who wrote this story, indicated that there are over 300,000 
thousand reports, uh, basically complaints. You know, people writing in saying, "No, don't do this." Yep, that's right. So yeah, they're working as Legato Networks, and that's who was given the approval with the FCC. We are pushing back on it, of course, and so it's going to go through some of the FCC process. One good thing is we do have, because GPS is such a national security resource, I'll call it, and the military uses it, and a lot of you know government um, security services. DHS has actually weighed in and said they are against it, and I think DOD would probably do the same. So the good news is we've got some we've got some you know heavy hitters on our side for this one, but just to let you know, it is out there and and it is uh, it's going to be a battle once again. Yeah, I'm all for better cell coverage because that leads to a little bit better. Uh, it could lead to better technology. You never know in an emergency you might need it. But look, there's so many folks using GPS, not just aviators, but automobile drivers, truckers, railroads, you know, shipping, shipping lanes. It's just, it's out there. And you really, this is something that folks have to really be, uh, be careful about. And, you know, the FCC granting that to, uh, to Legato from Light Squared, you know, it's just, it's back on the table and we have to see where it's going to go. Yeah, that's right. Hey, one thing we do know that's going to come up is VFR charts. If you still use those, you know, those pieces of paper that you can fold 500 different ways in the cockpit, those have typically been on a, what, six-month expiration cycle, I think. So you got to, you know, you only had to buy one every six months or so. They are now going to what IFR pilots are more familiar with, which is a 56-day publication cycle. So that is an effort to basically streamline the process of updating chart information and kind of get it all synced together because some charts are uh, have older expirations than others, and now it kind of syncs it all up. But the 56-day cycle does take effect next year in February, so be aware of that. Yeah, so keep an eye out on that. You're probably going gonna to have more regular updates if you use EFBs. And if you still use paper, yeah, you're going to have to buy those more often. So it's something that AOPA actually advocated for and and, uh, is in support of. I know it's a little bit more expense, not a huge amount uh, if you're still buying paper. But, you know, six months is a long time. There would be, I don't know if you know, you've seen this. I'm sure you have where it's like something, especially frequencies, you know, like a frequency, a class tower will be built. They'll make a class D and it's like, you don't know for the next four months uh, on the chart as far as the chart's concerned, you know. And we just talked a little bit about uh, GPS signals and a little bit about 5G networks. And Ian, one of those one of those uh, cell phone towers could sprout up literally almost overnight. And if you're going to wait six months for that to be indicated on a chart, and especially if it's near your uh, home airfield and you're not sure about it, unless it's in a NOTAM, it's really going to be you know a tricky deal for you to keep up with all these changes. You know, every six months versus a lot sooner. Yeah, that's right. So, hey, one resource that's going to be using these uh, new 56-day charts is the AOPA Flight Planner, which I know you've been a user of. Uh, It's been powered by Jeppesen in the past, but Jeppesen is going to go away from that business. And so AOPA reached out, and we've got a new partner. We do, Ian. The iFlightPlanner.com folks have partnered up with AOPA. We got a test run at the iFlight Planner uh, a little bit earlier before it was released to the rest of our members. And it's got a lot of cool features on it, a lot of things that I like about it. There are a few things that folks like me who are used to AOPA flight planner powered by Jeppesen, there are a few things we have to relearn, including the rubber banding tool. Yeah, Uh, It works a little bit differently. But uh, here's the main message for our members and folks who use that AOPA flight planner. 
your airplanes that you've already saved and a lot of your routes will be automatically transferred over. So those favorite routes that you have, I've got one from Frederick to Cape May, New Jersey. One of my favorite routes and one Good down spot. to, yeah. yeah, one down to first flight. I've got that saved down to PDK, my hometown in, uh, in Atlanta. So those routes all got transferred over, which is a great thing. That is good. Yeah. So I think folks are really going to like the weather presentation on this. It's a, it's a, I think one of the strong points, really easy to see where the current weather is on either side of the route uh, through graphical, you know, it's like the whole green system, yellow system, that sort of thing. That'll be really nice. I think the way that it presents the flight plan, like you and I were talking about how you can print it out and it's all right there. That's really nice. So lots of stuff to really like on this, I think. We should say by the time you listen to this, it will be live. So if you go to the AOPA website under, well, you were saying just under the kind of the main picture there is a good spot to find it. Absolutely. Look under the look at the homepage and there's a box right underneath that homepage. Currently, we have Mark Baker on the box because uh, as we record this, he's doing a live stream, which folks could probably catch up to later on the archive. But right underneath that airports, destinations, weather and the flight planner, they're all listed right there. That's an easy way to get to it. Yeah, that's right. And so that will be active by the time you hear this. The Jeppesen Flight Planner, if you want to find old information in there, like you said, stuff's going to be ported over. But if you want to find it, it will be live until April 30th. And after that, it's going to go away. But yeah, hopefully you went in there and, and you and I have been in there. All our stuff was there. So that's great. Should be relatively seamless. So yeah, spend a few minutes with it. It's a nice little benefit for members. Before we leave the subject, I want to uh, let folks know that this is also the homepage for the for the new flight planners. Also a really cool way for them to get their latest AOPA news in because it has news teases to our most recent stories. And that's a great way to do some one-stop shopping to find out a little bit more about what's going on in your aviation world around you with advocacy efforts, as well as news articles and feature articles and some things that we write about uh, that are in the magazine that we let people know ahead of time online. So that's all right there on that flight planner homepage. And just go ahead and start planning a new flight, play around. If you have any questions, contact the PIC. Cool, cool, very good. Hey, let's um, finish this week talking about something, you know, we got to talk about something COVID, right? And one of these kind of unintended consequences that, that people are finding, and that is air shows. Now, of course, we've talked about Sun and Fun, and we talked about Oshkosh, but the whole air show industry, which, you know, attracts millions and millions of people every year to airports around the country uh, every summer, that has obviously just been completely shut down and that's having really, really big consequences throughout that part of the, the aviation sector. Absolutely. Now, we all heard recently that the uh, Thunderbirds did sort of a, a tip of the wings to some healthcare professionals in Las Vegas, and the Blue Angels might have some plans for the future with the Thunderbirds. We'll find out about that. But yeah, what do you do if you can't go to an air show? What do the pilots do? How do they stay fresh? And moreover, what are they offering other folks who really love air shows? Because it's a family event. Yeah. And I mean, I've taken my wife and daughter to the air shows before, and we all of them. Yeah. So it's if you're if you're dying to see air shows, there are some virtual air shows. You can go on AOPA if you go onto the story here that you know we have some links. If you Google, you know, kind of virtual air show or live air show, you'll see some stuff. Some of these are individual performers who are just kind of you know looking to buy some time, promote sponsors, that sort of thing. Some of them are organized through ICAS, which is the International Council of Air Shows. They do fundraisers because really for a lot of these performers, I mean, you know, from the military, fine, right? It's like they're still going to have jobs. But for a lot of these folks who are flying, you know, this is kind of their side business maybe or, or for a lucky few kind of their primary business, 
you know, their income has just evaporated. And so ICAST is doing these as, as fundraisers, some of these live shows. So it's a great way to support them and, and to stay engaged if you're an air show fanatic. Absolutely. And like you said, Ian, a couple of the big names we've heard of before and, and our good friends of AAPA, including Patty Wagstaff and Michael Gooley, and they have some really interesting technology that they talk about. We hear a little bit more about what's going on behind the scenes. And so it really kind of provides folks with a, a little bit more of a background of what you go through to get ready for an air show. And you know, Ian, a lot of the performers started practicing right when the, we turned from 2019 to 2020. They uh, work out, they basically, they, they get their bodies into shape, they get their minds into shape, they get their machines into shape. They spend the whole off season getting ready for that spring and summer air show season. So yeah, this is a good way for them to to get the word out and to keep things going. Yeah, and I know one that you uh, are friends with and fond of Spencer Sudren, he's been doing some cool YouTube videos about kind of a, a behind the scenes, how these things work, how some of these maneuvers work. Yeah. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff out there. I was going to uh, tip our hat to Spencer Suderman. He's been on Hangar Talk before. He lost a propeller, and he told yeah. us a little bit more about <laughs> it. Um, but he's got a really interesting series that he started last week called the Play-by-Play -play Series. And one thing that I was really interested in, Ian, is this maneuver called a Torque Role and uh, Spencer explains it, you know, and then he shows some in cockpit video from his helmet cam and from the aircraft looking back, and it just really breaks that maneuver apart and explains why it, you know the aircraft rolls a certain way. And I found it absolutely fascinating. And thank you, Spencer, for providing cool insight. Yeah, very good. So just some of the ways you can stay entertained. Now we want to shift a little bit to some of the ways you can stay safe, and of course that's masks. And Brienne, who you caught up with, just has this fantastic idea given back to the aviation community. And uh, I just think this is a really cool story. Welcome to Hangar Talk, Brianne Kropa, and I'm talking to you right now from Buffalo, New York, and you have a real interesting story. Right now, we're in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic, and you and a bunch of other female aviators have banded together to make some face masks for pilots, but you also have a keen aviation background. So, Brianne, welcome to Hangar Talk. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So tell me a little bit about the project that you're doing right now and how the group got together and what y'all are doing exactly. Sure. So let's see, what was it? Friday last week, I think it was. I was sitting on my couch thinking, hmm, I should do something. You know, I'm a seamstress. Um, I sew all the time. And it's like, well, maybe I should make face masks for the industry, the aviation industry. And But I knew this was going to be something bigger than I could handle. I know I didn't want to make thousands of face masks all by myself. So I reached out to Christine at One Plain Jane, and I asked her if she would be willing to help me with this project. I wanted to offer the face masks for free, but I knew shipping could add up, so whoever got them would have to pay shipping. So we decided to move forward. I had never actually met Christine and I still haven't like face to face. So it was kind of a leap of faith on her part too. So we started out and then we asked for somebody to help with shipping because the plan was to have the seamstresses like me send the masks in bulk to somebody and then they would ship them to whoever ordered from there. 
because we didn't want to put another burden onto the seamstresses beyond making the masks. So that is when Emmy Dillon and Alyssa Van Meter came along and they joined the coordinating team and they both do shipping. And Alyssa also does some sewing too. She's sewing all of the custom masks we decided to do. So yeah, that's how it started. Well, let's let our podcast listeners know that they can go to oneplainjane.com and look at the products there and they will see a tab for the free face masks. These are handmade by aviators for aviators and it notes here with love. Right. Just pay shipping and a big thanks to all of our volunteers. So tell me a little bit, Brianne, how many face masks per per person can I get? I, I need some face masks. How many can I get? Right now, I think we have it limited to one per person, but you can order multiples for your family. So like if you know, husband and wife and child are all aviators, they can all get one. We just limited it because they are all being handmade. And so we didn't want to overwhelm ourselves. Now, is this for aviators so they can go out to the store and go do their essential business? Or is this for aviators so they could fly in, you know, safely with other passengers? Or is it both? Right. So our main thought was for the aviators who are working. So like ATC, you know, the transport pilots that are doing cargo or passengers. But, you know, if you're a pilot flying around and you need to transport somebody to a hospital or whatever, you know, privately, it's really for anybody in our community. Yeah. Okay. And so, and really, so out of the kindness of your heart and a team of uh, seamstresses who are also aviators, uh, y'all are making these and making them available for free. Really, other people will just have to pay for shipping. That's that's very generous on your behalf. Now, it must take a couple of minutes to, to make one of these, you know, to sew one of these masks. About how long does it take to make one? So for me, it takes me about, I'd say about 10 minutes to make one. But for others, it can take up to half an hour. Like I said before, I'm, I've sewn so much that I've been able to, you know, really get down these techniques quickly. And I've always had that gift of being able to sew fast. So for me, it doesn't take long, but for others, it takes up to half an hour. And do y'all share the design on, uh, I understand that it started with a group on Facebook and maybe Facebook Messenger. Do y'all share the design so that folks know how to make the pleats, the darts, get the elastic or whatever it is that we need? Or or how are y'all, you know, basically how are the plans being disseminated? So what we're doing right now, we started on Messenger, but then our group got too big and we were getting lost. So we created a Facebook group for the seamstresses. Wow. Do you need more seamstresses? I mean, maybe more folks want to volunteer if you want to let them know how to how to get on board. Yeah, we definitely do. We could use them. If you just contact me through my emails, that would be great. And we can add you to the group. Facebook is great. But if you don't have Facebook, we can communicate through email, text messages, whatever. All right, well, look, I'm going to warn you that we do have a few people that listen to Hangar Talk, you know, the podcast. So do you want to go ahead and, and send that, uh, go ahead and just mention that email real quick, but be prepared that folks might actually email you back. Okay, that sounds good. So my email is bcropa2, so B-K-R-O-U-P-A, the number two, at gmail.com. 
and we'll go over that again um, before we break. But look, Brianne, you also are a pilot. Tell me a little bit about your private pilot background, and we'll go into your job that you do right now, and then we'll jump back into the free mask, because I think this is really fascinating. We want people to know that this is for aviators, by aviators, to keep aviators safe. So tell me a little bit about your pilot credentials and, and your really cool job that you have right now. Sure. So I have a private pilot certificate or license. I got that. Let's see. Oh, it's been a year. I got it just around this time last year. It was an awesome journey. I got it because I want to be an air traffic controller. And I figured that would help make me a better controller. But halfway through, I just fell in love with the sky. And it turned into more of a passion than doing it just because kind of thing. So yeah, so I got that. And then because of the ATC dream, I decided to get my dispatch certification. So I just completed that here in February. Actually on Valentine's Day, I, I did my practical test. So that was that was pretty cool, pretty intense. I spent six weeks at flight safety and you know really hit the books hard and it was a great experience. Well, look, for folks who are not aviation dispatchers, and I actually happen to know uh, no one in Atlanta, you can probably tell I've got a Georgia accent. Um, I do live in Maryland now, but a good a good friend of our families is a, a dispatcher for Delta. What does a certified flight dispatcher do? So they plan all of the flights. They look at the loads. They look at the weather, make sure the flight is going to be flown safely through the weather. They help the pilot with things that the pilot needs. They're a resource on the ground for the pilot. So are y'all doing, okay, um, you're talking about, we're talking about a couple of different things here. So um, we're looking at weather and we're looking at weight and balances. And we're also probably looking at, you know, the schedule and we're looking at, you know, where does this aircraft have to be at this time to pick up this load at this place? So like, is how, how is that not confusing? How do you sort it out? <laughs> Well, since I've only gone through training, I, I'm not currently working dispatch. It's been fun figuring it out and just making my brain think about it has been a lot of fun. So is, is this something that you would do for a regional air carrier or a corporate operation or major airline or any of those three? Um, you can do it for any of the three. And is it also something that you could do, I mean, it's probably above and beyond what normally would be a routine at a flight school? Yes, it is. But dispatchers have been known to work at flight schools until they could get hired, you know, by a by an airline or by a, somebody like that. So what appealed to you about pursuing the certified flight dispatcher route? Uh, or is it just a basically a, a starting off point on your route to be an aspiring air traffic controller? So it's a little bit of both. I know that ATC can be hard to get into, and I wanted something else to do in aviation. I wanted that challenge. And when I was looking at schools for ATC, the dispatch program came up. And so I decided to look deeper into it, and I found that this could be something I would really enjoy. And going through my training, I really did enjoy it. So yeah, it, it was really both ways to help me get into ATC and to give me a backup plan and something to do 
if I don't get into ADC, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And and you said a minute ago on the Hangar Talk podcast that you spent six weeks already studying. And you said that, was that at Flight Safety International? Is that what you said? Yep, it was out in LaGuardia. And so what what is that all about? So what, what do you guys do for that? And for six, I mean, six weeks, that's a month and a half. Right. So that was to get the certification. So I spent that whole time out there practically I mean, honestly, I didn't even leave a book. I was always reading, you know, the FARs, the regs, the weather books. It's just to get that certification. The dispatcher written test is basically the same thing as the ATP test. So, you know, you have to know a lot to get that certification. Yep, that makes sense. You got to know it frontwards and backwards. Regulations, like you said, you spent a good bit of time with that. I'm sure there's language that's involved with that. And, you know, there's some slang probably that that once you get on the job that you'll hear, I'm sure the pilots, you know, talking and you'll go, wait a minute, that's not how it was in the book. Right. But that sounds like a good start. And I I admire you for having a, a good plan, a good foundation to, you know, before you jump into the ATC world. So for a dispatcher, does that mean that you that you would in a perfect world be located at an airport or do you go into a bunker somewhere? I mean, kind of describe that to folks who don't know what it's like. Right. So you're actually working at the headquarters of the company. So whether it be an airline or whatever. So for instance, Delta is located, their headquarters is in Atlanta. So you would be located in Atlanta working at their base there. Gotcha. And that's a friend of mine uh, works there too. So I kind of knew that, but I wanted you to tell us. So (laughs) that's kind of neat. So right now you said that you fell in love with aviation. You fell in love with the sky and and it became more of a passion for you as you gained your, your private pilot certificate. Tell me where you learned to fly. So I learned to fly in Anoka, Minnesota. So just north of Minneapolis. I've been there. I know that airport well, actually. It's a nice little airport. Uh, I love the tower. Yeah. It's a great airport. Our boss, Mark Baker, has some air- aircraft stashed up there at Anoka, and we had an AOPA fly-in over there a couple of years ago. It was great, and it's a beautiful part of the country. Yes, it is. Yeah. So you learned in what kind of airplane? It was a 172 Cessna. Awesome. And so was it uh, analog gauges or digital gauges? It was all analog steam gauges. So Mm -hmm. I like the steam. Um, I don't know. I've never flown the glass panels, but it'd be an interesting transition for me. (laughs) Give me one thing that was kind of a hurdle that you had to jump over, because a lot of folks that are routine listeners to Hangar Talk, they know that we talk a little bit about things that could trip you up. Is there anything that tripped you up or anything you really had a hard time with during your training? I think the hardest part was the scheduling, because I was part of a club and um, there was a few other students at the time and we could only fly the one airplane. Right. So that was a rather difficult thing. About halfway through my training, it had to go down for an annual and they found some issues in it that put it out for a good, oh, I think it was a good month and a half, if not close to two months. And then weather crept in. And so, you know, you couldn't fly when it's too cold. It was just interesting getting up in the air. And it gets pretty cold in Anoka, I can tell <laughs> you that, man, uh, for sure. So what's the most fun thing about flying the Cessna 172? Oh, it's easy. I like, like, once I got used to it, you didn't really have to do much to fly it. You could just, you know, sit there, relax, be in the air, and know the airplane. Like, you really learned that, how that airplane moved. 
And who was your first passenger once you earned your private pilot certificate? That was Bob Kropa, my husband. And was he behind you in this endeavor or was he just kind of like, hey, I'm going to let her do it and we'll just see? Oh, no, he was right there with me the whole time. He also is a private pilot. Actually, he's instrument rated and is working on his CFI. So our friend was my CFI. And so he actually let my husband tag along on some of my lessons so that we could, you know, teach us both how, teach me the primary and show Bob how it worked. That is a good two for one. I love that. Saving money all the time. And you start out by saying that you were part of a flight club. And so that helps save some money too. How did you find out about the flight club? So that was actually all Bob. When we moved up to Anoka, he wanted to start flying again. And we found the flight club. It was just something he had researched. And so when I started flying, it was just, it just made sense to go that route. So we had a lot of friends in the club. So we would all go up and go flying together. And and it's nice to fly with other people who know that airplane. Having somebody in that seat next to you who also knew that airplane, it gives you a sense of security and it's nice. Absolutely. And so on the, on, did y'all's flying club do some social activities as well? We did. Yeah. We had all sorts of things that we would do. We had our monthly meeting and then like 4th of July, we had to get together. I planned a camping trip up to Bemidji. So we all flew up there and we camped out at a state park up there and we had a really good time at that flying club. So a, a key takeaway from this, Brand, is that flying clubs could save you money. And also it's an interesting thing to do because you get to meet folks that are like-minded and have some fun. You guys did a little camping out there in the summertime and enjoyed yourselves. And also it's, it's a great thing to do to lean on other people that have similar interests. It's just a good social aspect. It definitely is. Yeah, could definitely recommend them. <laughs> Well, good deal. Well, let's bring it back a little bit more to the free face mask. I don't want to keep you too long because I know that you guys are, are probably pretty busy. You might have other things planned, but tell me again about the face mask initiative. About how many female aviators do you think right now are helping sew these face masks? Just ballpark. So right now, I think we have, let's see, 20 to 30 seamstresses helping to sew. I think it's right about there. Now, here's the one thing that I'm trying to figure out. How do aviators and seamstresses' paths collide? I mean, how did you network to get those two things going down the same airway? So I posted in two different Facebook groups. One was the FAST group, female aviators sticking together. And the other was the lady aviators group. I think it was, is what it was called. And um, I put out a call for help and we got... We got quite a few from there. And then One Plain Jane just put out a call asking for help. And so did Alyssa and so did Emmy. And I did on my social media, but they all have a lot more followers than I do. So we gained some help from all of that. And I think sewing and aviation is, is not a common hobby to have both, but I've noticed that both of those communities, everybody in them has really big hearts. They all want to give. And so when you do get both of them, I think you just want to give even more so. So as soon as anybody who was sewing seen it, they just wanted to help as much as they could. So it was really nice. And we've been able to get donations for supplies. So that's been helpful. So we can give out supplies to people who, who are furloughed and can't you know, afford to buy supplies right now. 
so they can still make masks even if they aren't able to get the supplies. Now, are these fashionable masks? I mean, they, do they have a specific color or pattern or is it like whatever you have lying around the house or is it special cotton or what? So all of them are 100% cotton because that's what the CDC recommended. Mm -hmm. So we went by that. They are any cotton that the person had on hand. I know I had a bunch of prints and, and things like that, but we're trying to keep an amount that's more gender neutral so that, you know, it could work for a male or a female, whoever gets it, you know. We do have some bright pink ones, but we also have, you know, plain black ones. And because all the fabrics are donated, we kind of had to go with whatever we had. Gotcha. We are offering a custom one for military personnel because the military has made a policy that they need to be solid colors. So if, you know, if you are military and you do need that, you can email one plain Jane and we can get you all squared away so that you follow the policies. Oneplainjane.com. And um, yeah, I was just going to uh, pitch something for AOPA. Uh, the AOPA store, we have bandana material for dogs and puppies. So, you know, if one wanted to get that industrious, they could have a little bit of an aviation logo on their custom sewn face mask. So I guess really, let's just say this, since y'all are aviators and seamstresses, sewing aviators, the sky might be the limit on this. It might be, yeah. <laughs> well, we appreciate your time. Is there anything else I didn't ask you about that you wanted to let us know about? And uh, don't forget to, to hit people with your email one more time too, to help make some face masks for fellow aviators. Sure, so I did want to mention that we do need seamstresses and we could also use supplies. So we have a PayPal account set up. So if anybody wants to donate for that, that would be helpful. Nobody is making a profit off of this. And our plan is if we have extra funds available at the end of this, we were going to do some sort of scholarship. So we have that PayPal account set up and you can find the link to that in the listing on the One Plain Jane website. So definitely just read through that listing and you'll get all the information there. My email is B-K-R-O-U-P-A, the number two, at gmail.com. And we'd love to have your help or, you know, even just a prayer helping us to be able to sew these would be appreciated. So anything, anything would be appreciated. Fellow aviators could also put the word out through their own social media networks and, of course, we'll have a little story about this on AOPA.org. I wanted to give a quick shout out to a fellow colleague at AOPA, Kristen Rayner, who sent the information for this really unique initiative. And to thank her as well, as well as the 30 or so of y'all that are in the, the group of flying seamstresses, if you will, making this initiative to keep people safe during this rather unique time. Right. We could not do it without these seamstresses. So these ladies are amazing. And um, everybody who's been helping has just been so helpful. Like, it's just been awesome. And everybody who's donated. And it's just been an amazing thing to see. I know we're giving back, but it's also nice to see. And it's been eye-opening to see how grateful the community has been. And um, it's just been a blessing. It makes you feel good. It does. And it's just, you don't really know how helpful the community is until you start something like this and they start helping you help each other, if that makes sense. Um, I was just in shock at how much, how much help we've received. 
That's outstanding. And, you know, the networking aspect of it might pay some dividends, too, as you, you know, as aviation gets its feet back on the ground a, a little bit more in the next few weeks and we get back to a little bit more of a normal situation, you know, folks like you that, that are uh, aviation dispatchers and uh, air traffic controllers, pilots, you know, uh, CFIs, technicians, we, we all could use a little help networking. I think this is a great opportunity. I'm so glad that you guys brought it to our attention. I'm happy for the group. And I hope that uh, that our paths cross in person one day, maybe at Anoka. I hope so too. You know, you never know what happens here in this community. So all right, I'm going to give people your email again one more time to get involved. B like Bravo, K like Kilo, R like Romeo, O like Oscar, U like Uniform, P like Papa, A like Alpha, 2, the number 2 at gmail.com. Will you be able to jump back on with us if we have more questions for you in the future or help other people if they're interested in learning how to be a certified dispatcher? I would love to help as much as I can. So feel free to reach out. Thanks, Brian. We appreciate you joining us at Hangar Talk and hope our paths will cross in person one day soon. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. So, David, thanks for doing that. Have you, I'm curious, have you been wearing a mask when you've been going out? Ian, I have been wearing a bandana when I go out. And <laughs> so you, um, look, you look like a robber <laughs> from the Old West. Well, that's the coolest <laughs> thing about this. I mean, I, if there's a flip side to this, and it's a, a terribly serious subject, but there's a flip side. I mean, we, we all look like uh, we're back in the, the cowboy days, you know, with these, yeah. uh, with these bandanas. But I did order a face mask, two of them, in fact, from One Plain Jane. And uh, I really wanted to thank uh, Brianne for coming on board. Brianne Cropa, we appreciate your help and also the dedication of all the aviation seamstresses. Gosh, I didn't even know there was such a thing. I know. And uh, and they're doing such great work. And I uh, got to emphasize, it's, it's free. It doesn't cost anything. It only costs a couple of bucks to get your face mask shipped. And it cost me $3.97 or two of them, and they're going to be unique designs. I'm really looking forward to getting them in the next few days. Very cool. All right. Hey, that's all the time we have for this week. I'm Ian Twomley. Our editor is Austin Hansen. And I'm David Tulis. Don't forget, you can find us at aopa.org slash hangartalk. We're on iTunes and on Spotify. All right. We'll see you next time. See you next time, Ian. Hangar Talk from AOPA. Your freedom to fly.